0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com I used to lead a church. Uh, I used to lead a church in East Manchester, a place called Open Shore. And, um, well, I want to say it was carnage. It wasn't nice and chilled like this church. It was just a little bit crazy. There were so many unusual characters that would uh, visit us on a regular basis. My favourite was a guy I used to call Kung Fu Gary. Kung Fu Gary used to wear a full kind of Japanese warrior clothes. And he would stand directly at the back, refuse to sit down throughout the service, and would stand directly in my eye line as I preached, and his arms would just be like this. Uh, that was Kung Fu Gary. Um, we had all sorts of strange gu- uh, guys and girls there. We had a guy who um, would sneeze regularly, but his sneeze were you know, the, the church sneeze is like, I'm trying to contain it, <coughs> like that. His wasn't the, <coughs> his would be like a, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. like, just so everybody knew he was going to sneeze, it would be this huge build-up. And so we'd all kind of wait, and then rah you know, and, uh, and that was a joy. And then he seemed to trigger this other lady who had, like, the multiple sneeze issue. You know where they come in multiples of 10? Choo, choo, choo. And sh- so, she, so we'd like, what? If I'd be preaching, I'd be like, let's just wait, shall we? Like, he'd do his big thing, she'd follow with the, choo, choo, choos, um, which would keep us going for a while. Then there was a, a problem, similar to this church, where the toilet's, or past the preacher, and I'd have a guy that would every week walk between me and my lectern to make his way mid-preach to go um, and use the facilities, some of which could be heard during my preach too, and then there was a character that would um, uh, answer his phone in the service unashamed, uh, and then would speak up full volume, uh, discussion and conversation, again hugely, hugely distracting. And then there was this one time, we had a fella I'm still friends with actually, who, um, uh, what we didn't know is, imagine the service are going on, I'm pre- mid-preach, and then smoke begins to billow through the church, like the church appears to be on fire. The church isn't on fire, but somebody has set fire to the bins just outside the kitchen. And so all this like smoke is coming through the church, and we all run, grab our kids, and then we run and we wait for the fire brigade. And it's amazing. It's a really exciting morning. And, um, but what we didn't know is this guy had done it all on purpose to make us get out of the church so he could steal all our possessions. You know, so, so like handbags were missing, uh, mobile phones, all sorts of things. Uh, this was the church uh, that I led. <laughs> you yeah, know, they, they got rid of me because I was obviously doing such a terrible job. And... Um, and then, and then there was this one character, one character who appeared very normal. Uh, and he seemed to know one Bible verse better than any other Bible verse in Scripture. And I know you're thinking it's John 3.16 or it's Jeremiah 29.11, the classics. No, his uh, favourite verse is found right in the middle of our text today. Uh, right in the middle, and he would just find what he believed was the right moments to share it. So, uh, you know, we'd be in the middle of um, a meeting, maybe, and he'd say, that really reminds me, and you can't turn there yet, don't look. He, He would say, that really reminds me of Matthew 3, verse 7. Uh, Or we'd be uh, in a prayer meeting and and he'd say, That really reminds me of Matthew 3, verse 7. Or I'd be at a party and he'd say, I just feel like the Lord is saying Matthew 3, verse 7. And to start with, I believed him. I believed that the Lord was giving him a word to share to the congregation. For those who've looked, you're you're naughty and you're wrong. Um, And so I'd sort of scrambled to the Bible. I'd say, everybody, quick, turn Matthew 3, verse 11, like the Lord was speaking, like it was a prophetic word for all of us. And it says this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, it's already not really that catchy, is it? Coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? This was his contribution to prayer meetings, to uh, any kind of Bible study, to community groups, he'd constantly say, Matthew 3, verse 7, it's the only thing. You brood of snakes and vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. And that's what I had to deal with all the time. And he would look at me like, you know it's true. Like deadpan, he wouldn't smile, he wouldn't giggle, he'd he'd just go, Matthew 3, verse 7, drop the mic, and walk off. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, we're talking about something completely different, and it was almost like, is it the Lord saying that I am a snake, I am a viper, and that I need to flee from the coming wrath? And so it became this ongoing thing. Is it serious? Is it not? But before we get to verse 7, let me just welcome you to a new series. Welcome to the series that you're just about to start. It's a privilege to be preaching it. A I- A series on the kingdom of heaven. It's based in the book of Matthew. You're going to be working your way through it. It's awesome. I have to say, I love preaching on the kingdom of God. There is nothing I enjoy preaching on more than the kingdom of God. Matthew's favourite phrase for describing the kingdom is this phrase, kingdom of heaven. He uses it 30 times in his gospel account and actually in the Greek it's a plural. It actually means the kingdom of the heavens, the invisible dwelling place of God and Matthew says that John the Baptist, who we're going to hear all about this morning, declares that kingdom, the invisible kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens is on its way. So our passage, Matthew 3, do turn there if you would. Matthew 3 is a declaration of the coming kingdom. Let me just set the the, the scene for you. 400 years of silence. There's been no news from heaven. There's not been a word or a sound. And then suddenly comes a new prophetic voice. A new prophet has been raised up. His name is John the Baptist. He is the cousin of Jesus, the nephew of Mary and Joseph. He's the miracle child of Elizabeth and Zechariah, they are that old couple, barren, unable to have kids, who God does a miracle amongst, and they are given this guy, John, who from his conception is filled with the Holy Spirit. In the womb, they know that the Holy Spirit is working upon him. And this is what the angel prophesies about his coming. Luke, this is from Luke, Uh, Chapter 1, verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. His job, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is his job life's work his single focus and so when we get to Matthew chapter 3 our text for this morning this stuff is beginning to happen in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near the kingdom of heaven is at hand John is camped out in the wilderness and he's a little bit unusual, not because he likes camping, which I do think makes him a little bit odd. But in verse 4, it says, His clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a, well, a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And I know what you're thinking. Could there be a more hipster guy in all of history? I've Googled camel hair coats. Do you know how expensive a camel hair coat is? I saw one today nearly 4,000 pounds to wear a camel hair coat. John is wearing a bespoke, handmade leather belt. And he loves to forage for food. Foraging has become so cool, isn't it? He's the ultimate hipster. No, he's not. He's not on trend. He is a prophet and prophets behave in bizarre and kind of crazy way. John the Baptist is the prophet's prophet. He's the one that is spoken of by Isaiah. He's the one that uses the words of the prophet Daniel. And he's the one that embodies the spirit and the power of the prophet Elijah. And he's dressed. Like the prophet Elijah, he's come thinking, what would Elijah wear? And this is what Elijah wears. A thousand years before John the Baptist came about, two kings, chapter 1, verse 8, describes him as having a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. He's come in his prophet's kind of costume. What shall I wear? I shall wear the camel today. I love that some versions of the Bible describe, um, describe the prophet Elijah as uh, being a very hairy man. You can take that, wearing a garment of hair is also translated as, he was extraordinarily hairy. In fact, if you take it into the Hebrew, it means the Lord of hair. I feel really we love that. I'm Elijah, the Lord of hair. He's like the missing link. Like, you know... <laughs> not that we believe in all that but you know what I'm saying he's so super hairy his, his hair whether it's the hair of a camel or his own super hair is kind of tamed with a leather belt around his waist picture it if you will John is the new Elijah he's radical He's a super radical. He cares for nothing but the king, the coming king and his kingdom. And he lives in poverty. He's dressed like a caveman. And he eats what he finds. The food of the poor, the food of the poorest of the poor, would have been insects, locusts caught in the fields. And wild honey. You know, he's on the search for something other than bits of like insects. And he's like, oh, scoop a bit of that in. He's amazing. He's incredible. And people go on the search for John. He's in the wilderness. He's seeking God for himself. He's preparing himself to be someone who prepares a people for God waiting for his call, waiting for his moment. And I imagine that there he is one day knitting his next kind of camel skin sweater. Maybe he's kind of honey roasting some locusts next to him. And then suddenly he's activated. He's activated by the kind of kingdom code that comes to him, almost like a a secret agent. The word of the Lord comes to him that triggers his action and i've no idea what he hears but i wonder if it's an echo of the ancients i wonder if it's a sound of the prophets maybe it's isaiah 750 years before him maybe he hears that amazing text a voice of one calling in the wilderness dialing you john prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. I wonder if he hears the echo of the ancients, and then he knows what his job is, and he knows what time it is. He's been waiting for God to use him. He hears and he acts. No delays, no doubts, no fears, no discussion, no compromise, just obedience. Here's the lesson for us. When we hear the word of the Lord coming to us, when we hear him call us to be obedient and to go where he goes, we don't delay. Even if we look odd, even if we look strange, we do what we're called to do. And John's mandate is clear. Prepare the way. Make crooked paths straight. Fill in the valleys and bring down the mountains. This is not about landscaping. This is not about gardening. This is about making a way for God. This is about preparing the hearts of people, the hearts of people who are often so deep and broken, often so wiggly and all sorts of a mess Jesus' call to him is make straight paths, bring down the hills, fill in the valleys, turn people from their way to a new way, end sin, bring forgiveness, turn people back to me. And he calls people out to the Jordan River. You know why this is significant? This is the place where the Israelites had crossed over into the promised land. Do you see how symbolic this is? He's saying, repent Leave the old way. Come off the old path. Be forgiven. Be baptized and cross over. Cross over into a new thing. Leave behind the old. Cross over into the promised land of salvation. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is coming. How exciting! Get rid of the old because the new thing's coming and the new things is going to blow your mind. The rule and reign of God is on the move. The reign of God draws near. And you know that no kingdom arrives without a king. He's saying the king is coming. Get rid of the old stuff. Get rid of the mess. Get rid of the sin because the kingdom of God is coming. And that means the king is nearly here it's so wonderful, the king is near, his kingdom is coming, the nearness, the at hand means extreme closeness, this is the Greek, extreme closeness, immediate imminence, proximity, presence, The kingdom of God is so close you can sense it. The kingdom of God is so close you can touch it. It's at hand. It's right here. Do you see what's coming our way? And in light of this, they have no option but to get ready, to get your life in order, get your life in line with the kingdom. Turn away from the old. Choose a new way. Change your mindset. Change your direction, leave behind the past and step into a new future. Turn away from sin, repent and get ready. What a preach. As if I would have started with that, st- stood up, let's do a funny story. John doesn't do all that stuff. He just gets up and he's like, repent. You know, this is serious. You know, this is urgent. And amazingly, people respond. People went out, from, uh, out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized in the river Jordan. They respond, they come in their droves. I imagine this this procession of people from Jerusalem out to the weirdo in the wilderness because something is going on. I had it just the other day. I, was, I heard about something in the northeast that God was doing amongst a whole load of poor people gathering in a boxing gym. I felt so stirred I had to go and see it. What is God doing? And that's what they sense. They sense that God is on the move, that something's happening and they cannot miss out. The message works. People respond. And then my mate jumps in with Matthew 3, 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, this is John the Baptist, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Suddenly it's escalated big time. Suddenly it's gone from friendly, friendly, put you down in the water, new life, off you go baptism was getting a bit popular people were enjoying it a bit too much day trip out into the wilderness bit of a dip in the in the in the river there maybe the reputation of john was going before him man you know you have to go down in a bit of a dirty river but you come up and you feel great that's a day trip not blackpool it's the river jordan for these guys people become begin to come for the wrong reasons They're getting baptised without a desire to truly change. They want forgiveness, they want the feeling and the sensation, but they don't want what is to come, they don't want the life that comes after it. Let us not be a people like that, who like the moment of intensity, like the moment of encounter, like the moment of forgiveness, we have no intention of changing to live as a kingdom people, the people that Jesus would want us to be. They still desire to keep the old life, keep the old ways, the same issues and the same sin. They want to fall back onto the old law and the old way of of managing it. And so there's no evidence of change. There's no evidence of repentance. Sorry must shift us. Repentance must see a revolution in our life. That means we look different to how we were before. John calls it. Fruit, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Baptism is not a momentary thing and then back to the old life, the old ways. The king is coming. Remember, keep that in mind. Whenever you hear this series, think about it. The king is coming and his kingdom is at hand. There's no going back. And do not think you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. That's the old way. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe has been laid at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will cut it down. And it will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Being a Jew is not good enough. Being a child of Abraham does not count for anything in the kingdom that is to come. Trees without fruit will be cut down. Those without the fruit of repentance, those who are not bearing kingdom fruits will be thrown into the fire. It's brutal. It's hard. We need to hear it. This is not just for a people 2,000 years ago. This is for us who encounter the kingdom of God and think we can just get back on with the life we've always lived. We've got to be a different people. I baptise you, this is John, I baptise you with the water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his uh, threshing floor, gather wheat into the barn and burning up of the chaff with unquenchable fire. Oh my goodness, I baptize you in light of your repentance. But there's one who's coming, one who's on his way, one who is nearby, who is far more powerful. The King. The King is coming. King Jesus is on the way. And his power, his power supersedes anything that I am. And John is later on described by Jesus as the greatest of all men. But yet here is Jesus on his way. And John recognises he is nothing in comparison. I'm not worthy to carry the dirtiest thing, the shoes of a man. I'm not even worthy to carry them. Get ready. Get in line be prepared, be prepared for the baptism of the king that is to come, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit, which is a whole new level, and with fire, but beware the fire, the fire cleanses, the fire makes holy, but it burns up unrighteousness, and so get your life in order, begin to bear good fruit, because the fruitful of unrighteousness will be destroyed start bearing fruit true repentance will bear fruit so the question is what is the fruit of repentance what does it look like to evidence repentance in your life what does it look like to see the old gone and the new come what does it look like to live in light of forgiveness that comes through the grace and mercy of our God how will people know that you're sorry for the things that you did? How will they see that your life is growing and that new things are coming? And this is what Luke points us to. In Luke's version, he gives us a bit more detail than John, uh, than, than Matthew. John answered them as they begin to ask, What is that? What does it look like? Anyone who has two shirts should share it with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you, sh- you are required to, he told them. And then the soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money. Do not accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The fruit of repentance looks like sharing what you have with the poor, sharing your clothes and sharing your food. It looks like not ripping people off or defrauding people. It means not being a bully, not lying, not giving false testimony. But what does it mean for you? You might not be a tax collector. You might not be a soldier. But listen up to what the fruit of repentance should look like for you. Show it. Begin to display it. He says live for others. Salvation is displayed in selflessness. Selfishness must die. The me first attitude has to be put to death. A life lived for yourself is over. The old life is gone and the new life has come. You no longer live for yourself but for others. The fruit of repentance is good fruit. And fruit has purpose. Fruit is made to bless other people. Fruit brings life. Fruit tastes good. Fruit feeds the hungry. Fruit blesses the sick. How is that displayed for you? The fruit of repentance is grown on trees rooted in the values of the kingdom. A kingdom, the kingdom to come, is a selfless kingdom. With a king with everything who gives away himself. A king who was born a pauper, the most high who was brought low, the king of grace who was born into disgrace, the king of peace born into chaos, the majesty of heaven born into misery, a manger for a bed, the creator of all things who will have no place to lay his head. Our refuge will become a refugee. The great I am who will become a no one. The defender who will become defenceless. The immortal who will become mortal. The eternal who will become temporal. The light of the world overshadowed. The deliverer who will be delivered to death. The everlasting that will come to an end. The ancient of days with just 33 birthdays. The sustainer of all who will be left empty. The abundant one who will be abandoned the glorious made inglorious, the strong made weak, the holy one made unholy, the judge of all judged by all, the just who will face injustice, the truth called a liar, the one who places the lonely in the families will be forsaken by his father, the welcomer despised and rejected, the king of kings crowned with thorns, the king who reigns on the cross and not a throne, the victorious made notorious, the one who sanctified will be crucified, the author of life left lifeless, the rescuer who will not be rescued, dying for all but dying alone, robed in righteousness yet hangs naked on a cross. The Lord of all is the servant of all, the good shepherd dying for his sheep, the most uh, most glorified in a shameful death, most beautiful in his ugliest moment, washes the sins of the world and the feet of his betrayer. He exchanges his righteousness for unrighteousness. He calls the margins the middle. The friend of sinners, the father to the fatherless, the defender of the widow, the God of the lost. He leaves the 99 in pursuit of the one. He brings, uh, uh, death brings life. His death brings life. A man of sorrow who brings joy. His grief brings peace. His oppression will free us. He became unclean to purify us. His crimson blood makes us whiter than snow. His brokenness will make us whole. He is the wounded healer. Grace for the disgraced. Hope for the hopeless. Love for the unlovable. He remembers the forgettable. This is the king. He's amazing. He is glorious. And he's on his way. He's on his way. He is an unbelievable king. And in light of who he is and the kingdom that he will bring to bear, repent, repent and show the fruit of repentance. Live for him, live like him, imitate him. Lay down your old life and pick up a new life in Jesus, the new life of Jesus. Selfless, generous, humble. Loving, putting others first. The fruit of repentance, a lesser you will be a better you. In light of Christ, Christ on his way, our wonderful kingdom, repent.